The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Towns. And we got some big time pitchers and some winners in this edition and one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. You're going to hear from Dave Stewart, John Miller from the Giants, our old buddy Johnny Gomes, and Dontrell Willis, who has now been a part of the A's broadcast team. But first, we're going to start out with Stu. How great is Dave Stewart? Well, he's in the A's Hall of Fame. He's a three-time World Series champion. He's a World Series MVP. He's a two-time ALCS MVP. He won the Roberto Clemente Award in 1990, led the American League wins in 1987. The guy won 20 just over and over. What a great pitcher and also now broadcaster for NBC Sports California. Here's A's great Dave Stewart. One of the greats of all time, World Series champion, World Series MVP. You you know the resume. You know all about him. You see him on NBC Sports California, A's pre and post game live. The great Dave Stewart is with us here on A's Cast Live. Dave, how are you? Doing okay. How about you? We're doing well. Is it hard to believe when I tell you there's only 43 games left? That's crazy, isn't it? 43 games left. Well, this is a great season, wasn't it? It came and went. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we always talk about how long the season is, the dog days of summer. I mean, it's just crazy the importance of every single game. And we were, we were talking yesterday about how, you know, okay, you'd won nine in a row, you hate to lose. But, yeah, you really hate to lose a game when you're up nine to four. Well, those are the kind of games that you you got to – you gotta uh, you gotta take advantage of those. You know when you're up when you're up nine to four, um, those games you gotta bring them home. And unfortunately, last night they didn't. But you know you start up once again, and and the one thing, Dave, that you look at the A schedule going forward, it is possible they may not see a team that's actually over five hundred till maybe mid September. You, you know, but it, those things don't really matter unless you play well. Guys that are coming to bat, swing the bats, and they pitch, and they play defense just like everybody else. That's why they're major leaguers. So what the A's have to concentrate on doing when you're playing against those type of teams is you don't want to play down to those teams. You want to continue to play good caliber baseball and keep the pressure on the on the rest of the division um, to try to catch you. Um, so – you know, 500 teams, I've seen them wake up and play great baseball against division leaders. How impressed have you been with the three of Montas, Fires, Bassett, where so quickly they're able to, to ramp up speed and they're starting to give you innings every single start? You know, it's impressive, and it's exactly what the team needed uh, early on the first eight, 10 games, uh, the starters weren't carrying the ball very far. Um, and that was creating a, a serious problem for the bullpen. So now that the starters are pitching well and carrying the ball a little bit further into the game, you know, getting into the sixth inning, the seventh inning, 
It makes your bullpen more reliable. It keeps them fresh and ready to do their job. So it's impressive that these young men are starting to throw the ball like they're capable. When you look at Chris Bassett and his value, last year winning games for you, went into the bullpen, obviously with injuries, started out this year, and he's throwing the ball fantastic. We call him the prey mantis. He's, you know, he's, he's all arms and all legs coming at you at 6'5". Just how much do you like watching him pitch and break down what you see with Chris Bassett? What I like about Chris Bassett is the fact that he competes. He comes out every game he competes. And on top of that, he believes that he is going to win a baseball game. And so that confidence trickles down to his teammates. And when they see that, they play better baseball for him. Um, he goes out and he tries to get the job done in any way that he possibly can. And, you know, when you got a guy that's out there trying for you, it makes you, it makes you play so much better. You know, Dave, I think about your time as a pitching coach where you got guys with great arms – but yet they're just going out there to survive and they may not be going out there to win. And I think that's the transformation we've seen in Frankie Montas from the Dodgers to here. Frankie was just trying to survive on a big fastball. Now Frankie fastball split slider confidence. He's now going out to win. What's that like as a pitching coach when you watch your pitcher evolve like that? Well, I think it's one of the you – know, any time that the, the teacher is watching his pupil advance and get better and prepare and more prepared for, you know, what life has to hold for him, it, it's obviously a tremendous feeling. There's no better feeling than knowing that you were able to give someone the, the necessities to be the best that they could possibly be. When was it in your career where you became that guy that it's win day when I go out on the mound? Um, when I got the opportunity to start every fifth day, which that would have been uh, my first full season in Oakland, um, you know, years before I was bouncing between the bullpen and getting starting assignments, but mostly pitching out of the bullpen, um, getting to Oakland, working under Dave Duncan and, and Tony La Russa, um, they gave me the responsibility of leading a staff uh, in the 1987 season, and I never looked back after that. I think about Jesus Lazardo and these young pitchers, Dave, that they're basically told this is the amount of pitches you get. Go out there and just let it fly. And once you get to that amount of pitches, you're going to be out of the game, which I understand we're protecting these kids, but we're also not teaching them to pitch. And we're not teaching them to go deep into games. We're just teaching them to, to blow it all out for 80 pitches or whatever. Um, how do you like that? Because it kind of scares me. Like, how are you ever going to build a kid up to go seven or eight innings when he's never allowed to do that? Well, I think Jesus Lasardo is going to be that special breed. I don't think he's going to be a five-inning guy. I think as he matures and he gets a little bit older, builds more strength, I think he's going to be a, a six or a seven, eight-inning guy. Um, I, I can see that happening. But but those guys don't don't come around, even in my period of time when – you know, we had guys that were throwing 200, 220, or 250, which was the standard for in my period of time. You know, we still had guys that were low 200s, which would, which would be equivalent, I guess, to you guys that throw 160 or 170 today. It takes maturity. It takes time. Lasardo, in my opinion, is going to be a 7-8 inning guy. He's going to be the lead guy in your rotation. He's going to be that go-to guy when you're when you're in a losing streak. Um, I might look for him to do great things. 
baseball today is it's a different game. Is this is not the the traditional game that I came up in or that you know. Um, now things are specialized, and there is such a thing as a pitch count. There is a, such a thing as as watching innings and not going through the lineup a third time. We're just in a different period of time now. Could this shortened season have helped the growth of Jesus from the standpoint of if it was 162, there would have been an innings limit. Now that we're just 60 and he didn't even start when we started the 60, that you really don't have to have the innings limit on him anymore. Well, I think it's it's helpful in, in, in a sense, obviously, because you're right. There's no limit on what he's what he's asked to do this year. But, you know, there's going to be a 2021 season. And so I don't know if it, if it's a blessing or if it's not, because the 2021 season we're hoping is going to be 162 games. He's going to be anywhere from the first guy in that rotation to the third guy in that rotation. And the innings are going to have to come from somewhere and he's going to be expected to throw innings. Um, for, in my opinion, a team that's going to make another championship run. So it's either pay me now or pay me later um, is the way I look at it. Mike Trout is a special breed, Stu. Uh, 37 home runs now against the A's. The all-time Oakland A's uh, home runs against the A's is 43 by an opposing player. He's going to blow by that someday. Uh, if you had to pick to Mike, if you had to pitch to Mike Trout, how would you go after him? You know what I have recognized with Mike Trout is that he likes the he likes the ball down in the zone, down middle portion, and preferably that's that's his hot spot. Uh, that's the ball that he almost never misses um, hitting out of the ballpark. And so, you know, I would try to keep the ball up and in on him, uh, crowd him on the inside part of the plate, um, just to make him inside conscious and and try to get some outs on that outer part of the plate, but. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a pupil of of Sandy Koufax, and Sandy always said that your best chance to get it out is to make the bat short. So you pitch to the short end of the bat, you got a pretty good chance that you're going to get some outs in there. Yeah, it, it, we it, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later with Scott Emerson. Is that for a right-handed hitter, Trout is different. He's got a short swing, kind of an uppercut at times, kind of like a left-handed hitter, and he likes that ball down. He likes the ball down and in. And traditionally, righties don't like that ball down and in. Well, he's one of the best that I've seen. I mean, you got Vlad Guerrero who can hit anything from over his head to a bounce. <laughs> you bounce the ball across the plate, and then you've got Trout who, like I said, when he gets that pitch down and in the middle portion of the plate and in, um, he really hits that ball hard. You know, Ramon Laureano got suspended for six games today. Uh, Alex uh, Centrone, the hitting coach for the Astros, he got 20. And it's actually the biggest suspension for a coach since Pete Rose. Uh, Ramon Laureano, are you shocked by the six? Because, you know, the protocols were announced. They told you you couldn't do this kind of stuff. And he ended up doing it. Uh, were you shocked by the suspension? I was surprised by the suspension, but I think the message was very clear from the commissioner's office, which is we are not going to we are not going to allow coaching staff um, to be a part of the antagonism of a player coaxing a player 
You're supposed to be the responsible party in, in all situations. On the field, you're supposed to be the peacemaker on the field. And so I think that's why you, you, you saw the penalties and the suspensions that were levied to, to both sides. Laureano, um, Bob Melvin said something that I believe to be true, that he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gone in the direction of that dugout if he wasn't led to, 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 to make that type of movement. And so had nothing happened with Cintron, there probably wouldn't have been any issue. Let's finish on this as someone who played in so many big playoff games and a world series champion, just the fact that these, these guys are going through COVID and the pandemic and the traveling and people are scared. And so people have gotten it and it's just a, there's so much unknown. It's 60 games. and It's going to be a 16 team playoff. Just talk about just this world series is going to be so unique and so tough. Now we're even talking about a possible bubble for the postseason. Just talk about winning this will just be what an achievement it will be at the end of the day, whoever wins this World Series. I think this whole season has been unique um, in in itself with the rule, rule changes, the way the game is being played, seven inning double hitters. This, this year has been unique in itself. Um, you know, some people are going to look at this season and, and, and say, that, well, they only played 60 games. But to me, I think that these guys um, are on a different level. Um, it's not just the fact that they played 60 games, but it's the conditions that they played these 60 games under. And in my opinion, um, that in itself puts each and every one of these players in, in a special place. Um, they have put themselves in harm's way by going out and playing the game. Um, and I believe, obviously, some of it is, is obviously to make a living, but I also believe that the majority of this is happening because these guys love to play baseball and they love to entertain fans. And so I put these guys on a special level for, for just being out on the field and enduring all of the complications that the season has brought. You know, Stu, we love seeing, seeing you in studio but since you're at home doing it, we love seeing that too. Keep up the great work on NBC Sports California. We're watching you. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you much. You guys have a great rest of your day. Always love having Stu on the program talking a little A's baseball. And whenever the A's play the Giants, it's always a thrill to have on John Miller. John Miller was the voice of baseball for a little over 20 years. You know, not just his work in Baltimore than in San Francisco, but on ESPN and all the World Series and Sunday Night Baseball, and John Miller is as good as it gets. He's a Ford C. Frick Award winner, which means he's a Hall of Famer. He is one of the greatest play-by-play guys in the history of Major League Baseball. Here is my conversation with the great John Miller. John, how are you? It's Chris Downs with the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Chris. You know, we were just reminiscing about some of the good old days from all the years in Baltimore, uh, Sunday Night Baseball. I can't tell you how much I miss you and Joe Morgan on Sunday Night Baseball. Oh, thank you. And we think about what we got going here with this season and COVID-19 and the sprint to the, to the finish. Just talk what it's like, what it's been like for you guys so far with the Giants. Well, I'm just like Ken Korak and, and the A's broadcasters. Uh, we, even though we're in the ballpark and the Giants are actually in the ballpark tonight, we're still not with them. So it's really difficult to know what it's been like for them. 
because we're totally separated from them all the time. But uh, I think the, uh, and I'm, I'm sure the A's feel the same way about it, are being very uh, cognizant of being accountable to their teammates, of not doing anything that could possibly put anybody else in the group uh, in harm's way. We, we saw what happened with Cleveland the other day when a couple of their starting pitchers sort of uh, snuck out of the hotel and uh, uh, they were found out and, and now they're, they're gone from the club, at least for the time being. So, uh, you know, this is just uh, something that is so insidious that uh, anybody can catch it anywhere. Uh, Bill Shaken, the outstanding columnist with the LA Times, I saw a column he wrote today about coming down with the virus himself. And uh, he's not been traveling. He's not been doing anything. He doesn't even go to the grocery stores. Uh, his daughter has done the shopping for him. And uh, and yet he still came down with it. So it, it can happen in just an instant. And uh, the virus finds a way. So anyway, so uh, so far so good with the Giants since they got started with the spring training 2.0. And hopefully with all the traveling and whatnot. And now they're home. And, and they haven't been home that much anyway. This, this is the seventh home game or will be the seventh home game out of 21 games for the Giants. So they've spent 70% of the schedule on the road so far. And it really weird the way the schedule has been working. Now they'll play 11 of their next 13 games here at Oracle Park. So where the ball has been carrying well, and who knew it came from Houston where it was what 98 degrees and humid. And they, they get out here for batting practice today and it's 97 and it feels a little bit humid here too. Go figure. Yeah, we've been we've been watching these box scores, and you're like, when did Oracle Park become a hitter's ballpark? Well, you know, it's a funny thing, uh, and and Mike Kruko uh, pointed this out before the first game that was here with Oakland, the exhibition game, about what what, what was that three weeks ago, I guess, and uh, that because they closed up those archways in right field, the 24 foot high wall in right field, the 20 foot high wall in right center. Uh, there are several archways there, and the ones in the right field wall have always been open so that people passing by on what they call the port walk on the, the waterfront beyond the ballpark out there could just walk in and look in through the wire fence and watch the game for a while. And uh, so the city said, oh, well, that's, we're not going to have that because nobody's going to be allowed to the ballpark to begin with, so you can't have all these people jamming in into tight spaces to watch the ball game that way. So, so that's all been closed up and uh, they had these big iron gates that have been closed. But what happened with those uh, archways is that the, the prevailing winds have, they kind of blow out across from right field out toward left field on a normal night here. Uh, but those also would get funneled through those archways so that no matter which way the flags were blowing, the, the right fielder would always feel wind at his back and, the, the, those winds would knock balls down to right field. This uh, Barry Bonds, notwithstanding, this has never been a very good ballpark for a left-handed pull hitter. J.T. Snow, one year, uh, the, maybe the second year this park was open, hit one home run here the whole season. This was a guy who'd been hitting 24, 28, uh, always around 20 home runs a year. He still hit his 10 home runs on the road, only one at home. So then we really we knew that there was something going on out there, and and that's just been uh, the way it is. And uh, so we saw in that exhibition with, with the athletics, the ball was carrying out uh, to right field extremely well. 
And and it continued in the, the first homestand with San Diego in here and then the Texas Rangers. So uh, now I'm, I'm expecting tonight the ball is going to carry well because it would anyway. When it's 97 degrees, I don't know what time what temperature will be at game time at 645. But uh, when it's when it's warm, this park is always played small. Uh, or when the, there's no wind blowing, the, the park is, has played small. There's wind blowing out towards San Francisco Bay, which also is kind of a hitter's wind. And without those winds coming in through the archways, I'm anticipating the ball really jumping, which Oakland's got a lot of power, so that, that should work out well for the athletics. The Hall of Famer John Miller, Ford C. Frick Award winner and National Radio Hall of Famer, joins us here on A's Cast Live. And there's just always something special about when the A's and the Giants get together and the rivalry and the fans, but obviously they're not going to be in the ballpark. And I've talked to Ken and Vince about this because it's the first time in their career they've called games off monitors. Now, we've seen it with a lot of Olympic broadcasts or like the Pac-12 network. Uh, what's it been like for you to be calling games off a monitor and in a stadium that just doesn't have fans in it? Well, somebody must have figured who was making the schedules up that we needed a lot of work on it because, uh, like I say, 14 of the first 20 games have been road games where we've been doing them from right here off the TV monitor. So we got a lot of practice. Uh, the one thing, the, the, the wrench that got thrown into the whole mix was uh, the three of the first four games we did when the season started uh, in L.A. were on network television. And apparently all the things that were promised us, uh, to us and, and Vince and Ken and everybody else, uh, we're not being delivered by the networks. The networks uh, have other priorities. So, uh, I mean, the first night we got the, the worst feed that we could have imagined. And it was delayed. Uh, the guy would hit a ground ball and then they wouldn't cut to a shot of where it was supposed to, you know, where it went. I finally, one ground ball, I said to Dave, says, well, they didn't show where it went. Dave, do you have any idea? <laughs> any, any guesses <laughs> on that? And he said, uh, well, let me check the, uh, the stat cast here. And uh, he says, oh, it says it was a ground ball to short. And I said, okay, ground ball to short. And then what happened? He says, oh, well, I guess he got thrown out. So, And I guess he's been thrown out, one away. So uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, so th- if, they, if they're not going to show you what's going on, then we're, we're really screwed. But uh, uh, apparently ESPN that first night, some technician there, not realizing that that was our lifeline to what was going on, uh, plugged in the wrong thing and, and we weren't getting the, the actual game feed. So uh, the second game we had uh, the, uh, I think it was Fox Network was doing the game. And I would see the pitch thrown, but before the guy actually threw the pitch, I'd hear the crack of the bat in my headphones. And which is really disconcerting when the guy hasn't thrown the pitch yet. So now I know that the ball has been hit, but I haven't even seen the pitch thrown yet. And so I have, we had these other monitors. So I'd start looking at these other monitors, the all nine, you know, where you can see the whole field trying to figure out if I could see where the ball was hit. And it was just so screwed up. And finally we just said, well, we, we better just try to eliminate hearing the crack of the bat and just do it off the, 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 the delayed monitor so which is not ideal anyway and, and I, I couldn't I kept seeing out of the corner of my eye the pitch being thrown and the guy hitting the ball so I'd say there's a swing and I uh, and uh, but sometimes I actually could make it out on that that big wide shot from up above home plate and sometimes I couldn't so uh, 
Anyway, so I, I'm sure I just sound like a, a total uh, amateur doing my first game, but uh, it was very, very disheartening. But anyway, since we've been done with those network things, uh, I think we haven't really had those kind of problems. Uh, although there are the vagaries of the telecast coming from these different cities, and sometimes you realize when you're dependent on them, you like what they're doing, and sometimes you don't. So uh, there's an appeal. The, the guy, a check swing, and they appeal to the third base umpire. Well, where's the shot of the third base umpire? Come on. Uh, what did he call it? Let's let's see it. And, uh, you know, so they, they, now tomorrow, I believe, is a Fox game. So maybe we're all, and Vince and uh, Ken and, and me and Dave will, will all be uh, in the same boat with delays and not getting what we need, except we'll have the one advantage, uh, Tony, which is we're here. We can just look at the field and broadcast what we're seeing in the game. Sort of an old-time broadcast. How about that? But Ken and uh, uh, Vince over there in Oakland on the TV monitors, good luck to them. John, you're one of the greatest of all time. For God's sakes, you could just tell stories and Giants fans would be happy. Well, we'll have some stories to tell about this, uh, the year of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I, I was reading up about the, uh, the Spanish flu, you know, the influenza pandemic of 1918. Did you see the Sports Illustrated uh, article where they, they, they used an actual writer of the day who was covering the Red Sox with the Boston Globe? And uh, they wrote it as if he were sending a series of, of letters about what happened then back to all of us in the present day. And, uh, and, and a lot of it was based on stuff that he actually wrote that year. But uh, the pandemic wasn't, didn't really become the pandemic until after the baseball season was over, except the, the whole thing did not start in Spain. The, the influenza started somewhere in Kansas or whatever on a military base. And when those soldiers got sent to Europe for World War I, that's how it got to Europe. And it began spreading like wildfire on battlefields and, and, and base, you know, military bases and whatnot. But the Babe and the Red Sox in 1918 were on a road trip on a train uh, heading to St. Louis, maybe for a series with the St. Louis Browns or whatever it was. And there, were, there was a whole car full of soldiers and they were heading to... New York to get on ships and be shipped out to, to Europe for World War I. And so the babe was a very gregarious, outgoing guy, even as a young man, as he was then. And he spent the whole trip in that car with those soldiers, uh, shaking hands and signing autographs and talking baseball and finding out about them. And, and, and they just loved it. And uh, so when the Red Sox got home on that, from that train trip, the babe came down with the and they didn't know what it was because they'd never seen anything like it. And it almost surely was that flu because there had never been a strain of flu like that that anybody had ever seen. The babe was hospitalized and they gave it. They thought maybe it was tonsillitis and something to, to do with his tonsils. And they had some kind of a, a silver or something or other that they would put the coat the tonsils with. And it got down his throat and into his system and almost killed him. Uh, the, the, the cure was truly worse than the illness. So he was hospitalized for days and lost a bunch of weight and whatnot. So that was the, probably the first effects felt of that pandemic uh, in the U.S. And then they stopped that season a month early, but not because of the flu. Like I said, the pandemic had not hit in the U.S. just yet, and, uh, but because of the war. And they, they, the Department of the Defense said that, or the Secretary of Defense said that uh, baseball players were not 
essential personnel to keep their jobs, and they needed to report to their military recruiters and go into the war effort. So baseball shut down a, a month early. They had the World Series right after the Labor Day or right after the 1st of September. The Red Sox won it the last time they won it for 86 years, and the Bay was a huge star, a big reason why they won it. And then it was literally maybe within two weeks that people started dying in Boston. And even that World Series itself may have been a super spreading event. The people who went to Fenway Park for those games, uh, getting all together to root on the Red Sox, uh, that might have been where the, the, the huge super spreading uh, effect began. And Boston became the epicenter of, of that pandemic in the U.S. So the, the, the real uh, disaster of that whole pandemic occurred after baseball was finished, but the, so those were, that was then, and, and here we are now, and, and they're playing games against all odds and trying to stay healthy. And so far in, in the West, the two Western divisions, things have worked out well. There have been no incidents, uh, unlike the Cardinals. Cardinals have still only played five games. Can you imagine the, the number of games they have to play to make, to, to make up, to, to even come close to 60? So uh, anyway, crazy year. Let's end on this. Take us back to 1974, and you're, you're giving tapes to our good friend Monty Moore. And the A's are at the start of this dynasty, and it's a World Series year. It's a really, really special year. What was that season like for you, the fact that you got the gig and Monty Moore and this great team? I, I was such a kid. I was 22 years old. I I was at a TV station in Santa Rosa, California. I was the sports director, Channel 50, and they went broke. They went off the air in August of 73. So I went down to Candlestick Park and taped a couple of games. The Giants played the Phillies. Uh, a friend of mine, Renee White, uh, who lives here in the Bay Area, was uh, a, a director at that station. He brought the equipment and sent, he set up in a, an empty booth. And I started sending tapes out to all the AAA teams in the country and any big league team that I read had an opening. I figured, well, they probably won't get hired by any big league teams, but why not? At least they'll maybe hear my stuff and put me on their radar. And the, the one team I wasn't going to send anything to was Charlie Finley for the A's because he had fired Jim Woods, who was an outstanding broadcaster, very popular. Uh, when he got fired, he got hired by the Red Sox and worked with Ned Martin. And they were one of the most, popular tandems in the radio booth in Red Sox history to this day. So it worked out well for, for Jim Woods. But uh, uh, so I, I thought, you know, if I don't send the tape, then of course I won't get the job. I probably should just go ahead, even though I'm sure I won't get the job. I'll, I, that's, I, I better just send one just to cover all my bases. And who knew that was, it was a good lesson to learn, I guess, because that's the one I got. And Monty Moore had this uh, ethic where, if somebody took the time to make a tape, then the least he could do was take the time to listen to their tape. Now, he might only listen to the first 45, 60 seconds or whatever, where he might say, well, this guy's this guy's not going to be hired. But uh, so he listened to my and he never heard of me. I'd never met him. And uh, he thought, well, this guy says he's a local sportscaster in Santa Rosa. I would, it seems like I would have met him. He was very dubious, very skeptical about that. But then he heard the tape and he liked it. And uh, he called me in and sat down with me for three or four hours and picked my brain to find out who I was, asked me to bring a tape of, of that full game, of that a Giants-Phillies game that I'd 
taped in Candlestick Park the previous August. And, uh, and then he went home and he listened to the whole thing, three hours worth, and called me the next morning, asked me to come back in. It's the only time that that's ever happened uh, in, in my career, that somebody listened to a whole game like that. But he wanted to be sure. He wanted to hear all the situations and, and really feel like it, it, if I had the ability or not. So I was always very proud of that, that I got that job. And uh, uh, like I said, it never happened again. Usually they, they hear your tape or they know who you are and they, they make you the offer. But uh, not that the offer was a big offer, but uh, it certainly was plenty big enough for me. Uh, at Channel 50, I was, I'd been making $500 a month. So let me just tell you, uh, Ray, it was way more than that. You know, so uh, I, w- I was in Fat City and they won two straight World Series. They were the best team in baseball. They had basically the same club coming back in 74 and they won the whole thing again for the third consecutive year one of the great teams of all time which really has never gotten its just due yeah there's no question about that john it is always an honor to have you on the program thank you so much for the time have a great call tonight and good luck with that national feed tomorrow on fox yeah, <laughs> good luck. Well, at least we'll be at the park so we can actually see the game, unlike Ken and uh, and uh, uh, the whole group over there. And and I, I just I'm uh, I'm hoping that maybe Fox has gotten that worked out by now and they'll be fine. But uh, uh, anyway, the uh, uh, we're just happy to have a game and actually to broadcast and that we're at to be at the game. It's such a novelty. So anyway, here we go. Thank you, John. Be well and be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. You you as well. Thanks a lot. From greatness to greatness, John Miller to our old friend Johnny Gomes. Johnny Gomes is one of my favorite players I've ever covered in any sport. And that's saying a lot because, you know, I've been, a, I've been around now for a while. Johnny is special people. He is a leader of men. He's a world champion. But he's a better guy off the field. He's special. I think someday he is going to manage. Bob Melvin thinks someday he is going to manage. Here is my conversation with Johnny Gomes. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of my all-time favorites. He's one of the great leaders of men in Oakland A's history. We're bringing him back home. Of course, he's down there with the Diamondbacks right now. But Johnny Gomes is with us. Johnny, it's been a while. Yeah. Great to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Upright, kicking. We got baseball back. I got my coaching hat on. Um, way different this year, but you know what? We got the game back. We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I think it meant so much to all of us just to have some type of season and to get things going, as uh, I'm sure you were like a lot of us, worried we may not even have a season. Yeah, yeah, no, I was uh, I was definitely leaning towards no, to tell you the honest truth. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of people, like, out of sight and out of mind that we won't even know about, but it was a huge process to get baseball back. I mean, there's some the mask deal and the city, you know, all these testing and, you know, I mean, it was a huge process to get this thing back rolling. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cheers to all those people that were involved. So you're right now with the alternate site is what we're calling it. The players away from the big club uh, that are getting ready in case they need to be called on. How has that process been for you guys with the Diamondbacks? 
Um, it's interesting, man. It really is. So it's about, you know, hand selected throughout your minor leagues of 30 dudes, uh, 30 players, which is basically normally, you know, it's triple A all the way down to rookie ball, which is six levels, 25 guys uh, per ball club is what you would normally have. But, you know, it's cut all the way down to 30. Um, not so much 30, your best, you know, I mean, because we just have, some, you know, a lot of teams just had uh, the draft or their draft picks that they wanted to bring in uh, and get those guys working. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting, man. I mean, there, there's the dudes in the alternate site, like, have never been closer to the big leagues as they are now, even if they played in AAA. Yeah, because I guess uh, when the ball club leaves Arizona, they're getting to go play in, in the big stadium, which has just got to be an absolute thrill for these guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, granted, there's no fans and stuff, but – I mean, the first time I was ever on a big league field was my first call up, you know, so for these guys to get, you know, their feet wet, we're playing games inside Chase Field. Um, you know, we got some young guys facing some old guys. Uh, at the same time, some of our pitchers, you know, will stay back and they get to face them. So it's, it's huge for our player development side. Um, but at the same time, like, with all these new like health rules and stuff, I mean, a guy could roll in with a 101 degree fever and he can't play. He's got to be out and you got to get someone up there just that quick. Not that he was injured or anything. They weren't even planning on it. So, um, yeah, these guys got to stay ready. And that's what we're doing. And I think about the young kids, because we have a few of the young kids that obviously they are not going to be going to the big leagues but it's about them not losing a year and being able to essentially grow as players. How important is it for these young guys to be facing almost big league ready talent and to make sure they don't lose a year of developing not only their skill set, but developing mentally? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's so huge. I mean, the most important thing for player development and young guys coming up is nothing more than games logged. The more baseball you see, the more you learn, the more you watch, the more you succeed, the more you struggle. That's true player development, like without having any coach input. Um, you know, we talk about like a 2000 at bat mark. Like you, we don't know the player until he's had about 2000 career at bats. And that's kind of what we get. So when you take away a whole season, we're knocking off between 400 and 500 at-bats with these guys. So the select few that are here, um, you know, they're getting those and they got to grind and they might be going against guys way higher than, you know, their skill level, which is good. They're getting thrown to the wolves. And at the same time, there's some guys facing some pitchers that are, you know, fresh. So they got to, you know, they got to bang those guys in a little bit. Um, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool setup that we have. And, we're getting creative with the game because you just play yourselves. You know, you just have inner squads every single day. Um, so we're keeping it competitive and it's pretty interesting. And we're really not going to know until the following year, you know, who did it right and who did it wrong. Well, obviously, if there's anybody that knows about good culture in an organization, it's you. You helped develop it here in Oakland in 2012. You've been a part of multiple World Series teams. You understand yep. it. Uh, Tori yep. Lavello, we've talked with him multiple times, and he's so into doing things the right way, building it the right way. 
How do you view the Arizona Diamondback organization? This organization is actually, you know, um, you know, it's one of the younger organizations, right? So there's a lot of minds from other places that are here now, you know, starting from Mike Hazen, who's up top, you know, starting Cleveland, you know, built that Boston ball club that won a bunch of world series. Um, we got, you know, it's kind of all sprinkled in from a lot of places. So there's a lot of pieces of the pie that are now here in Arizona. So it did take a little bit. I mean, I think there was like four GMs here through, through six years, but the group that the Arizona Diamondbacks have now, um, we've ramped our minor league system. I think we went from like the high 20s down to within under, you know, 10 in just two years. Uh, last year, we won three titles in the minor leagues. So it's coming, man. It's coming. And the ball club they have right now, you know, I, I like the ball club they have right now. They just haven't quite hit their stride. Um, not ideal for a 60-game set, but... I mean, you look down, you look up, you can gain five or lose five. So um, every game is playoff atmosphere minus the atmosphere. <laughs> well, it's crazy going into tonight. I mean, you know, the A's are red hot. They won four straight, 13 of 15, pounded the Giants, uh, 15 to three, had two thrilling comebacks on Friday. They were down five on Friday, down three on Saturday. They came back. So they're riding this great confidence. And here's the crazy thing. It's like I tell everybody, like, there's only 38 games left. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're 38 games left. You're a fever away from losing your best player. You're a positive test losing a guy for 10 days. Um, I mean, there's no time to look up or look down. you got to have the blinders on and just attack what's ahead of you. And that goes, you know, for, for all 30 teams. Um, you know, like what place you're in right now is completely irrelevant. You know, it's just like you got to win today, win this inning, win this pitch, win this at bat. And then, um, you know, basically when you hear that buzzer, that's when you have time to look up. But, you know, as hot as you are, you can definitely get that cold. And you know how it is. It's peaks and valleys throughout the major league season. And uh, the, the playoffs are expanded, too. There you go. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a fun race down the end. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you today as someone that's won a multiple World Series and knowing how tough everything is right now, it kind of bothered me. A lot of the old calmness, the old guard were like, ah, you can put an asterisk on this season. And I'm like, wait a minute. These players are having to go through a period of time on this planet and in sports that you've never seen before. A pandemic yeah. like this in Major League Baseball. And the fact that this sport is hanging by a thread every single day and these guys are traveling around in hotels and flights and they're scared and they're worried about their families and they're worried about their kids. And now you're expanding the postseason. So there's more teams, which makes it harder. I honestly believe when this is all said and done, whoever is able to be at the top of the mountain and to say World Series champion, I'm going to look at them as one of the great World Series teams of all time because they've had to go through stuff no one has ever had to gone through before. What do you think about that? I think you totally, absolutely nailed it. I mean, it comes down to like when we're all at home and all this stuff and we have to like check in with the players and you know, I do these little things and they're like, what do you, you know, what do you tell the player to keep motivated all this stuff? You know, and I talk about like what I coach and how I coach is what I've learned, what worked for me or what didn't work for me. And I never had to go through all this. 
So who am I to have input on it? Who am I to say like anything right or wrong? It's just, so we got total different views. There's more people involved this year than any other season. There's so much stuff that goes in behind the scenes, you know, with the flights and the buses and the, uh, you know, the checks with the temperature and protocol. And I mean, you see, as soon as you let your guard down a little bit, like maybe St. Louis and Miami, boom, 18 positives. So, I mean, if your team doesn't have any, you know, like you, you got to give them a little credit. You know, they're doing a lot more social distance, mask, whatever you believe this guys are not going out. You know, um, you really have to check in to win this year. This is one of the hardest years ever to win because we know Major League Baseball is a marathon and we just turned it into a sprint overnight. So I'm, I'm totally on board with you. This is a definitely, definitely extremely difficult, you know, ball. Uh, season to win a title because it's really not the best team this year it's whoever's hottest at the end yeah and people love tournaments that's why i i know some people like oh this is this is just this year i'm like i don't know man i mean they expanded the playoffs in football basketball hockey it's worked for other sports i i, I got a feeling something like this is here to stay what do you think well that's what you know my thing was with us even playing Right. With us even playing and as smooth as it's gone, what's going to stick? I mean, you know, the most important thing is obviously the DH, you know, the runner at second with extra innings, uh, the expanded roster, the shorting, shortening of season, the double headers, the two sevens. As it stands right now, there's, you know, it's way different, but there hasn't been too many complaints. Um, you know, MLB and the players union got a bargaining agreement to come up and, there's going to be a whole lot of sleep lost with uh, going back and forth. You can count on that. You know, I think about your time in Oakland, and, and I'll never forget this. So we go over this 2012, we go over to Japan and going to be taking on the Seattle Mariners. And obviously those first two games, McCarthy and Cologne started. They didn't go well for the A's. We came back and opened again with the Seattle Mariners. You were my pregame show guest for opening day in Oakland, and you said this team is going to go to the playoffs. And I know a lot of people yeah. went – I remember a lot of people went, what? 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 what's he talking about? There was something about your belief in the organization. It was special for you to be back home. You, you knew the character of a lot of the guys in the clubhouse. What was it mm -hmm. about 2012 that made you believe and you helped all these other guys believe? Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, this kind of goes through a lot of stuff, you know, with the club hole, clubhouse, the culture, the environment. So when you really get inside a clubhouse of baseball, you need an environment, you need an attitude, and you need a mentality. And you can't have those things if there's not an end goal that everybody believes in. Right. There's no environment without a goal. There's no culture without a goal. And um, where the A's kind of been before, you know, are coming off that big trade with Andrew Bailey and, you know, a lot of guys. And someone just had to step up and set a goal and then truly fight for it instead of just putting it on paper, you know, with, you know, running my pie hole like that. I mean, I truly believe and I've never took like a rebuilding at bat. I've never had an inning of defense rebuilding defense. I mean, the time is now. 
And 162-game season, we were in first place for four innings. And it just so happens to be the last four innings of the season. And that was, to me, with all these other championships and all these other playoffs, it's, if you don't win the World Series, the season kind of gets lost a little bit because, you know, you tip your hat to the champ. But that is one of the most majestic seasons that's happened in a long time. If you remember in the ALDS when uh, Verlander beat us in game five in Oakland, the whole team tipped their hat to our dugout afterwards. You will never see that again. It was it was pretty powerful. It was. It was a magical year. And, you know, we remember it almost like it was a World Series title because it was just so crazy to think that the Rangers just kept falling and the A's kept winning. And the fact that you could actually get it down to game 162, Never in the history of the game has a team never led. The A's never led the West at all until the very last out of the season. That has never happened in the game, and I doubt that will ever happen again in our lifetime. Yeah, it it, it won't. And then you talk about, I think it was August 14th. We were 14 back. Um, That's never happened either. There's a whole lot. I mean, we were actually in the Barcelona test positive. We were going down the stretch with a must win with five rookies as our starting five. Um, and, man, you know, and then the following year, I think they had like seven all-stars. And, you know, the, the A's are on the map now. It was, it, it was awesome. And I tell you what, we did our share. But at the end of the day, we can only do so much without a captain of the ship and that being Bob Melvin. And, uh and Bob, I trust. I've said it before. Well, this will be a perfect way to end this because I remember asking Bob at that time, as you guys were going through that great run, I said, Bob, if you could envision anyone on this team being a manager someday, who would it be? And he immediately said, Johnny Gomes. So the yeah. respect that he has for you it, to this day is unbelievable. Uh, for yeah. you, I know you're coaching now. Do you want to yeah. manage? Do you see yourself as being a manager in the big leagues? Um, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see going down the road. Um, you know, I got two hands. I was fortunate enough to get two rings. You know, the service time, you know, is 10 years. Put your mark on that. You know, I was fortunate enough to get that. Um, so, but at the end of the day, when you do get a ring, you know, you instantly want to start collecting those things. And you better believe if I was ever to get another one on a coaching staff, I would value it just as much, if not more, um, than a player. So if that day comes, you know, if a ball club comes out and says I'm the man for the job, you know, there's only 30 of those positions in the whole world. 7.5 billion people on the planet, and there's only 30 of them. So you got to be very honored to take that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always up for a challenge and always up to lead, lead a ship. So we'll, we'll see down the road. Well, I can tell you, all these years doing this show, you've been one of our favorites and what you've meant to us, what what we've learned from you. Uh, it, it, it's been extraordinary. We have nothing but the ultimate respect. Oakland will always be home for you. You're always welcome yep. here. And uh, be safe. Continue to uh, enjoy te- teaching. I know a lot of these young Diamondbacks are in good hands. We, we miss talking to you. We'll, we'll reach out again. Be well, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, you're one of the best, too. I mean, it's super easy to talk to you, and you get it. There's uh, there's a lot of puppets out there, and you, you, you speak very well, and you're passionate, and us guys do appreciate stuff like that. And, um, you know, we'll catch up down the road. we got a nice little series here. 
Uh, Bob Melvin, too, coming back to the Dimebacks, where he took this ball club to the playoffs as well. So it's good for him, too. I'd follow that guy anywhere. <laughs> Johnny Combs is money in the bank. Dontrell Willis has turned into a really good broadcaster. Of course, Dontrell does national games for Fox, but now is a part of NBC Sports California, a two-time All-Star, a World Series champion, Rookie of the Year, led the NL in wins in 2005. Great to bring Dontrell Willis back home to the Bay Area. Well, I can't wait for tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun watching NBC Sports California as we're bringing a, a hometown kid back home to be a part of the A's television broadcast, A's pre- and post-game live, doing it with another hometown kid, good friend of uh, the program, Dave Stewart. Dontrell Willis is with us. And, and Dontrell, it's been a while, but you know what? I got to think this is going to be really special for you, your family, and your friends. You've been doing the national stuff. But now you're coming back home to do your A's. Well, I mean, you absolutely hit the nail on the coffin, you know, and obviously it's well documented, you know, what the Open A's organization as a whole meant to me in my life and obviously my career. Um, if it wasn't no A's, it would be no Dontrell Willis. So I'm definitely excited to uh, be a part of an exciting organization and uh, hopefully a playoff type team. And uh, hopefully we can get a title uh, back in Oakland. So I'm very excited. Well, I know what this means to your family because I remember way back when, when you burst onto the scene, all of us in sports radio immediately had your mother on our programs and she was just beaming with joy about the start of your career. So I got to think the amount of family and friends are going to be watching is going to be huge. Oh, man. Well, you know, they're my biggest fan and obviously my toughest critiquers of my career and now my broadcasting career. So I actually was just in the Bay Area and had a chance to uh, have breakfast with my mom and she couldn't stop raving about how excited she was for myself to be on the telecast, even though she's seen my ugly mug nationally. She wants to see my ugly mug uh, locally. So uh, I'm truly uh, excited to be able to represent my family and friends. And, and keep up with a hell of a ball club. This is an exciting team. They're already off to a great start, and I, I expect more from this club. Yeah, it, it's it's just been a learning experience for all of us because we had no idea what 60 games was going to mean. And the A's right, obviously right. historically get off to a slow start. And, you know, next you know, they roll off nine in a row, and the record speaks for itself. Uh, what have you enjoyed so far in this essential sprint to the finish line? Well, you know, I've always loved the A's, but now watching them for these last three weeks, I, I definitely love the A's again. This is a very resilient bunch. You know, they have seven come-from-behind wins, which ties Major League record right now with the San Diego Padres, and I think that starts from the top. Bob Melvin is one of the best managers of men in all of baseball. I'm still trying to find a person to say a bad word about him. I even offered money to, to that person to say a bad word about him, and they just will not take my money. I mean, they rave about Bob Melvin and just the way he sets up the team, sets up the environment, and handles the staff. Um, Bob Melvin is one of the best in the game. Not enough people understand that. We're so in analytics and we're so in the numbers. And people ask me right. about Bob because, you know, we do the Bob Melvin show. We had him on today. And I try and right. tell people, somebody still has to manage the people. You have, you have, and normally it's 25. We started with 30. Now we're 28. But there's 28 individuals. There's 28 egos. There's 28 right. issues. <laughs> 
I mean, you don't know if guys are having problems away from the field. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Somebody still has to manage the men. Well, you know, the, the, the printer can only go so far. <laughs> you know what I mean? You definitely have to have someone that's definitely in tune with the environment in the locker room. He's done a hell of a job being able to do that. Uh, this core group, they've been in some really, really tough battles, and they're very resilient. And they feel like, hey, we can beat anybody in baseball if we play our style of game. And, uh, you know, that's hitting the ball out of the ballpark playing clean defense and really having good starting pitching and getting to that lights out bullpen. And that's what you've seen so far. So, I mean, but I'm really proud of this group. I I love the youth and the the veteran mix and they trust Bob and and vice versa. So you see the roles, everybody knows their roles, whether it be starting pitching, you see guys are finally healthy. And I think the healthiest team is going to be the most successful team. And A's are doing a hell of a job on and off the field so far. Well, here's something I think you're going to like. We've been keeping track of as a former starting pitcher. When an A's pitcher goes five innings or more, this is not some super Bill James analytic here. Uh, <laughs> when a starting pitcher goes five innings or more, the A's are nine and one. Proof's in the pudding. If you get innings from your starter, there's a better chance you're going to win. I mean, that's the bottom line, and that's why the starters make a lot of money. <laughs> that's why starters, starting pitchers are the best job in, in, in the world. You know what I mean? They're the ones that set the tone. And the one thing I love about this rotation, whether it be Lazardo or Bassett or, 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 you know, Frankie Montage, you're getting a different look every single day. But the one common denominator is they're all very confident in their ability and their stuff and their ways to follow the mitt. They execute very well. And even if they give up a lead early, they stay focused and they say, hey, we're going to keep the game intact and give our club a chance to win in the back end. Well, you know, you were a hot shot young pitcher coming up, and Jesus Lazardo is that exact same thing. If you could give him any advice, because you're going to face a lot of things. There's a lot of people coming at you now. There's a lot of people who want want a piece of you. What advice would you give to Jesus Lazardo? Man, stay focused. I've actually got a chance to talk to him, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I told him. Stay focused on the champagne, man. Everything else will come. And what I mean by that is stay focused on being successful inside that locker room. Nothing else is important. And that's very tough. You know, you have family and friends, and, and now you're the big hot shot, not only on the team, but in, in all of baseball. He's one of the best arms I've seen. And so he, he told me he was a big fan of mine, and I said, I have to be a big fan of yours because you throw harder than I did. So he's a hell of a kid. Um, he has a great work ethic, you know, a great head on his shoulders, and, and he's lucky to have guys that have been there and done that around him. But uh, he's a hungry kid, man. Just let him loose, and you've seen so far how talented he is. I, I got to tell you, Dontrell, I mean, everybody throws harder now. I mean, every guy oh, comes out. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't matter. Every, everybody throws 98, anywhere between 97 and 99. I mean, even when you right. were – it wasn't that long ago that you were coming up. Just the velocities changed so much even since when you first started. You know, I, I just mentioned to my neighbor, I said, man, I remember it was cool to throw 95. You know what I mean? Now it's like you're, you're throwing slow. You know, you're seeing these guys throw cutters at 92, 93 miles an hour across the league. But the one thing you're seeing across sports, the athlete is getting more in tune with his body. He's getting stronger. He's training smarter. Hell, when I was a kid in the Bay Area, I could play a double hitter off two jack-in-the-box tacos. Now these kids are, you know, they're they're in metric shapes and they're eating salmon and, you know, they're doing yoga. So 
that's the evolution of an athlete. And it, it definitely slid right into baseball. And you're seeing these kids bigger and stronger and big league ready earlier and earlier. I mean, to be a 21-year-old in the big leagues was rare even in the early 2000s. Now, you look on every roster, they have guys that are, are, are focal points that are 20, 21 years old, 22 years old. So the athlete has definitely gotten better throughout sports and definitely in baseball. You know, I think about pitchers right now and really making sure that you you're, you got to protect yourself because obviously right. you, you didn't get the full amount that some guys really needed. We've seen X amount of guys go on the DL. It's not all arm related, but there's far more guys on the DL now, almost more than half than what you saw last year in this period of games played to start the season. And just how important is it for these pitchers to make sure, yes, you want to take the ball, you want to win, but you also got to protect yourself. Well, that's also management as well. You know, I mean, you have to have the front office and the coaching staff on the same page as well. But it's tough because you're asking these kids to be stronger, throw harder. Well, if you're driving the Ferrari at 100 miles an hour, it's going to break down sooner. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and guys also need to learn. I, I, I want to see a little more add and subtract, if you know what I mean. You know, I wasn't always a max effort guy. You know, I might throw a fastball at 92 and then throw a sinker at 84, which plays into kind of a, a, a change-up fastball combination. No, nah, they're not trying to do that. They're going harder and harder and harder. But at the same time, if I had a 98-mile-hour fastball, I probably wouldn't throw a sneaker either. So <laughs> it's tough to tell guys to back off when they, they, they assess all these uh, abilities that they have. But, you know, obviously, you know, you have to do arm, arm care, body care. It's not just about getting stronger, but you have to be flexible and durable as well. Yeah, and the thing that, you know, is probably even different from when you were first coming up is now they baby these guys so much, and people get tired of me talking about this, but, you know, <laughs> you know you're in the minor leagues, and they tell you, well, you get 80 pitches. Well, you're going to go out there, and, and it's going to be balls to the wall for 80, 80 pitches, but once right. you get older and you're in the big leagues and you need to go six, seven, hopefully eight innings, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, you need to pace yourself. Not every fastball has to be as hard as you can. Well, you know, if you have a defense like Oakland, and I was blessed to have a great defense in Florida with Mike Lowell and Derek Lee and Luis Castillo, Juan Pierre, guys that have chances to win gold gloves, you need to be efficient and attack the zone, get earlier contact. You're seeing across the league, I mean, how many times have you seen someone go 3-2? It seems like every other batter, you're seeing a guy pitch three two but my best years was when I was able to pitch to contact get ground balls be efficient and also now the batter he doesn't see five to six pitches every time he comes up he might see two or three so then it's been efficient for me when I get later into the ball game he hasn't seen all my stuff or all my velocity so that's something that I would want to see more just from pitchers just be able to pitch to contact try to get some early outs keep your defense on your toes and in tune with the ball game so you go deeper in the ball game we do have to address not your Florida, but your Miami Marlins, who have the second best winning <laughs> percentage. You know, when, when when the whole COVID thing broke out with them, I was like telling people, like, right. hey, the day before they scored 11 runs, they won 11 to six against the Phillies, and a bunch of their guys had COVID. They're, 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 we just got to quarantine them. They're going to be okay. And now they've right. come back and they've played great baseball. They're seven and three in their last 10. They're eight and four with everything that's gone on around them. They've now kind of, they've rallied the storm. How great would it be to see the Marlins in the postseason? 
I mean, you, you, you're talking to one of the kingfish, you know what I mean? I, I, I love that, that organization. They're dear to my heart. Um, I'm truly proud of the way Don Manley, you know, it's Donnie baseball. He's been through a lot with the team over there without winning, but it, I think it's his turn to just taste that champagne and get a chance to get in a team into the playoff and 60 games, 50s guys, you know what I mean? Like it'd be a little tougher to sustain that success, especially in that tough NL East, but be able to win a couple ball games here, steal a ball game there. They've played in a lot of tough one-run games and being able to be successful. And so they're starting to pick up the momentum. You see those guys energetic and, and riding the wave in, in that dugout. So I'm really, really excited for them. I think they're going to have to make about 30 to 35 wins, which could be tough. But, you know, I mean, it would be a great story for baseball to be able to overcome COVID and uh, get into the postseason. You know, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is this runner on second base starting in extra innings. I think even the old guard, the people who were like, there's no way I'm going to like this. I, I think this is really catching momentum because there's all these decisions that need to be made by the manager. There's all kind of strategy. There's like immediate pressure every single start of the inning. How do you like it so far? I absolutely love it. The only rule I don't love is the DH. That's because I'm a career 240 hitter, which I like to drop <laughs> on people. But, you know, but no, I, I love it. There, there's a couple things it does. Well, one, you know, it puts urgency uh, right at the ball, right at the jump in the extra innings, which is huge. Also, you know, you get to finish games quicker. You also save arms. So it eliminates these 15 innings, 16 inning games where you deplete your bullpen and now you don't have arms for the next couple of days. So, and I also love the strategy offensively and defensively. If you have a guy on the mound that you trust at those strikes, do you put a man on first and then get the force or, or vice versa as far as like bunting the guy over and then getting that uh, one out, one out knock to get the guy in and go home. So I really enjoy the rule. I think the fans watching it have enjoyed the rule. And honestly, I think both clubs on both sides enjoyed it. Well, I can't wait to see it tonight. Well, you know, welcome back to the A's family. It's going to be great to have you. And uh, Thank this, you. Uh, this is obviously a very special season. So uh, enjoy your debut tonight with a guy I'm sure you looked up to a lot, Dave Stewart. And we, we can't wait to see you tonight on A's pre and post game live. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. We also want to thank Dave Stewart, John Miller, Johnny Gomes, and Dontrell Willis. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.